Good morning. So uh, I think I've said before how little musical talent I have. And uh, that means I don't even know how to adjust mics because I'm never, I'm never up here. But uh, hopefully this thing's picking me up. Uh, my name is Rick Clark. I'm one of the elders here at All Souls. And uh, it is my absolute privilege and honor today to introduce you to my friend Matt Cohn, who's going to be uh, preaching. Matt, um, you know, where, where can I start with introducing him? Um, you know, I think when we introduce people in a really secular setting, uh, we start with, where are you from? And where did you grow up? And where did you go to college? And, you know, what's his path been to this point? So, you know, I kind of went through that and kind of confirmed that I knew all of his biographical, you know, information. But then I thought, you know, maybe that's not the most appropriate um, way to, to introduce Matt. Maybe I need to just think about who is this guy? Um, why is it that he um, has a calling to be a pastor and a church planter? Um, who is he as a believer and, and who is he as a man? Why should we listen to him? You know, uh, to you all, he's, he's a stranger. Um, why is he so precious and valuable? Why has he been such a blessing to me? And so I thought, you know, maybe I should look through the Bible and figure out like a verse or two that make me think of Matt. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there are over 31,000 verses in the Bible. And so I read all of it. <laughs> so I prayed about it and I thought about it and I did some searching and I picked a verse, which is Romans 12, 9 through 13. And this is the very early half of what Matt's going to be preaching on today. And I don't know about y'all, but sometimes there are those moments. You know, I did not know what he's going to be preaching on. It wasn't until this morning that I picked up the bulletin and saw this. And it really is one of those few times in life where you just literally, I, should, I walked back there and showed him I had goosebumps from it. And sure, I mean, I think if you're here and you're a non-believer, you can just dismiss that, right? Um, even if you're here and you're a believer and you've just been questioning God, you know, and the way he works, you could dismiss that. Well, 31,000, you had to pick something, uh, right? <laughs> We're not going to get into the statistics. <laughs> but, but the truth is that every day we have a choice of how we perceive the world around us, how we interact in the world around us, how we treat other people, and what God's doing in our life and through us. Uh, and, and these verses came to me um, because this is, this is just who Matt is. So I'm going to read it, even though I know it's going to be read again. Um, but it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. And this is who Matt is. And so, I can tell you that he's a Georgia native. Um, I can tell you that he went to the university that is in um, Athens. Uh, <laughs> I can never remember the, 
name of that school. Uh, I can tell you that uh, he's an extremely smart person, but you'd probably say, well, give me some data on that, back it up. I can back that up by saying then he came to Georgia Tech uh, right after that and spent more time at Georgia Tech than at the school in Athens. So I think we have our proof. Um, and you know, there uh, Matt served um, as the head of Campus Crusade on, on campus at Georgia Tech. Um, we met regularly, um, which was always an encouragement. But what Matt probably doesn't know is I think that I saw him more than I met with him. I, I'll walk around campus to meetings. I'll walk around campus trying to avoid certain people. Um, and you know that, that takes me interesting paths. And I can't tell you how often I would see Matt sitting with a student, praying with a student, um, you know, uh, part of a, a gathering. And that, those verses are just so indicative of who he is. Um, he is devoted to others. He is so incredibly warm. Hospitality is, is who he is. And, and you might not have the, the privilege today to really see this guy's smile, but, but he is one of these people who, when, he, when you're around him, just his smile, his infectious presence, it is so, it's, it is so emblematic, I think, of, of how we're supposed to be in the world. Um. I, I think I forgot it all. Have I hit on everything? <laughs> yeah, really. And then he told me he was going to be out of town. I'm like, ah, I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> so listen, um, Matt and his wife Tiffany and their um, nearly one-year-old daughter Mira are with us today. And it is a blessing. Every time I've seen this guy, I've been encouraged. Every time I've met with this guy, I have been blessed. And I know you all are going to be as well. Um, I just, I just want to say again, like, I hope that you will take a picture of these verses. I hope you will write them down this week and meditate on them. I hope you'll go back and listen to his podcast, or to the podcast episode, the recording of the, of the sermon today. Um, Matt is a man of God. He is planting a church in Smyrna. Uh, and, you know, outside of what he might say about that and, and the message that he delivers, please, please keep this bulletin. Uh, either physically or take a picture of it and pray for him. Uh, over the last 20 years, I've spent a lot of time with pastors and a variety of pastors. And there's a book called The Dangerous Calling that we read when Shane was here. And it really impressed upon me how hard of a life this is, what a true calling it is, and how lonely it can be being a pastor. And that is all amplified when you're a church planter. So Matt and Tiffany and Mira, they need your prayers. They would love for you to consider becoming part of their church. And yes, I have approval from Stephen to say this. If you have friends in Smyrna or the Smyrna area, please encourage it. Um, I've heard Shane say this. I've heard Stephen say this. And I've heard others say this. All of us as Christians should have an opportunity in our lives to be part of a church plant. This may or may not be that church plant for you, but you can still be part of it by praying for him, by praying for his family, by volunteering and, and helping them as they get off the ground. Um, and so let me 
end where I started by simply saying, um, welcome, Matt. Thanks. Um, we're so glad to have you, and we're looking forward to the word today. Um, please join me in welcoming Matt Cohn. Thanks, Rafe. Yeah. kind of speechless. I think that maybe we should just end right there. But if we were to end right there, it would be all about me. It wouldn't be about Jesus. So we're not going to do that. We are going to continue and press on forward. Although I will say, I do want to introduce a little bit more of myself and my family too. And so I think we have a slide of my wife and daughter. Yes. Uh, and so uh, my wife, Tiffany, our nearly one-year-old daughter, Mira, she'll turn one next Saturday. And as Rick said, the, being a pastor, it is a dangerous calling. Planting a church kind of amplifies it a little bit, but not just for me, but also for my family too. And so we do ask for, we do covet your prayers uh, in particular. Now, the beautiful thing for us is that we were given the freedom within our denomination to go anywhere within the boundaries that we really wanted to go. And we were originally, not originally, but we lived in Smyrna for seven years prior to making a move up to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And as we were thinking in Knoxville, well, where do we want to go? We had no plans on ever returning back to Smyrna or ever returning back to Atlanta itself. And yet the Lord just kept drawing us back here. Uh, we have so many friends in the area. We are familiar with the culture. We know over 200 or so people in the Smyrna area as well, many of whom are already plugged into a really good church too. And so for us, it just kind of seemed natural that this may not happen. Uh, God may not bless this. It may not ever launch, per se. Uh, and if that's the case, it's going to be really hard for us. And if that's the case, then we know we're going to have a really strong support community as well. And as we were praying about, where are you going to lead us, Lord? And as we eventually landed on Smyrna, we kind of looked through Metro Atlanta to see, well, where are the EPC churches in Metro Atlanta? And if you're familiar at all with that, EPC being the denomination that All Souls is a part of, that our church, Waterstone Church, is a part of. Uh, if you're familiar with that, there's churches in Cumming, Georgia, in Ackworth, in McDonough, and Loganville. And as you can see, I'm, I'm drawing like a 45-minute uh, circle around Metro Atlanta itself. All Souls is the only church inside the perimeter, and then we will be just outside of the perimeter as well. And so when we saw that, oh, it's, it's All Souls. Well, when at first when we saw it, there's only one. Oh, man can we do this with just one other church? And then we saw, but it's all souls. Yes, I think that we can. Thank you, Lord. This is wonderful because we do have a history here. Um, you can go to the next slide. Yeah, so this may be our first time, my first time in particular, worshiping with you this morning, but we have a long history together, actually. I do with your church. My wife does with your church as well. You all used to host a counselor down in your basement while you were doing the remodel for the downstairs with the children's area. And I saw that counselor for a year, a year and a half or so, and, and right before I met my wife. And so if not for him, whew, that could have gone a whole other direction. Uh, one of you was actually rooming with my wife. You were her roommate when I proposed and asked her to marry me. One of y'all actually served, or a family served with my wife over in Bosnia for multiple summers with crew, too. Rick already mentioned just our relationship at Georgia Tech, and he was such an encouragement to me while I was there on campus with crew. Uh, and then I'm actually, I have the privilege and honor to be meeting with another one of y'all uh, regularly for coffee and for lunches as well, this time to talk about church planting, though. And then we know a few of you, too, uh, and we know your stories because we were all a part of the same church uh, back in the day. 
Now, we've also heard stories from our friends here about what a blessing your One Another series has been so far, and in particular, how worshiping together here during the 10 o'clock hour has been such a blessing and an encouragement, too. We have long been asking the Lord, what does it look like for us, for Waterstone, to be a One Another community? And we've also been asking, what does it look like for us as another EPC church, uh, another sister-brother church within the city, to be a united One Another collective of EPC churches, too? And, you know, maybe Paul, in our Romans 12 passage, has something to say about that. And so I'd love to invite up our scripture reader this morning as we will finally open God's word. Will you join me in prayer before we begin? Father God, you have loved us with devotion and kindness that withheld nothing and forgave everything. Turn our hearts now to your word. Teach us to treasure it and abide by it. Remembering it is by learning and obeying your commands, we will know we love you and love each other. Amen. From Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you humble me? Would you humble us? Would you exalt your son? We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this passage in Romans 12, it's very instructive for us uh, as Waterstone Church, who I'm sort of here representing, and then also as All Souls, and for y'all individually, too, within your particular seats. And it's instructive on how to actually be a one another community. In fact, as you just heard, Paul uses the phrase one another three different times, which I think of all the one another passages that you guys are going to go through the remainder of the summer, that's the most. So it's, he's definitely trying to hammer home a point. He uses that phrase three times. One, to love one another. Two, show one another honor. And then three, to live in harmony with one another. And while these three one another's are intended for the church in Rome to apply for the most part to themselves or those who are part of the church, Paul also says a whole lot of other things throughout the remainder of those verses that talk about their interactions with people who are beyond their church community too. And and I think this is really appropriate because 
a truly one another community that is motivated by the love of Christ will not only or exclusively love one another, but they're also going to love beyond their immediate community as well. I think that's just a part of being a one another community. And so with your permission this morning, I'd like to walk through this passage using Waterstone's four core values and do that in order to introduce you to our church and, and also in so doing, hopefully encourage you with ways in which you are already thriving as a one another community, and then also just give space and allow the Holy Spirit to challenge where appropriate, where there may still be areas for continued growth. So we have a, a slide here, and it's just to begin, is to say that these are our four core values, embrace Jesus and multiply. And yes, uh, the and there might be a little confusing, it is a distinct core value. I will say that when I told my boss up in Tennessee that these were going to be our four core values, he just kind of laughed and he's like, Matt, only you could make and a core value. And I think that was a compliment. I didn't ask and follow up with him on that, but we're just going to go with it being a compliment. Briefly, just want to touch on each one of these before we then transition into the points, but briefly, embrace is our posture toward God, toward the world, and toward the others. And, and you'll hear as I talk through these core values that each one has a corresponding P word there, and so embrace is posture. And really the closest word to embrace uh, that I would say uh, as far as our meaning as the church is just to welcome. But implied in embracing and implied in welcoming anybody is things like uh, belonging, repentance, lament, forgiveness, hope, and then personal and collective responsibility as well. Jesus, uh, if we could actually go back to the previous slide, Jesus is our person. He is the focal point of our community, and it is our prayer that his thoughts become our thoughts and that his heart becomes our heart. And is our perspective on life. It's another way of saying that we value an integrated life, but it's essentially just the third way that was made famous by Dr. Tim Keller, who was a pastor up in New York City and church planter and wrote a lot on church planting. And I'm going to flesh the and uh, core value out a little bit more later. And finally, multiply. That's our purpose. You know, from the very beginning, as we were thinking about starting a new church, I was like, this is not worth it. I, I'm not willing to do it. I'm not even willing to entertain the idea if our purpose in starting this church is not to uh, multiply both disciples and then also new churches too. And so we'll begin with embrace. And so we've got the next slide up there, just going to hover on embrace for a little while which again is our posture toward God, toward the world, and towards ourselves. Now, if you'd asked me in 2019 if I thought the idea of embrace was biblical, I would have said, well, sure, of course it is, right? Uh, but I couldn't have said much more about embrace other than, well, Jesus embraced me. I should probably embrace others, right? You know, in 2019, I had no concept for embracing myself, and I certainly had no concept for what collective or systemic embrace would look like. And there's a reason why I used 2019 as my reference point, because 2020 happened the very next year. Does anybody remember that year? <laughs> yeah, I take it that you do. But if you have, for whatever reason, chosen to forget 2020, I would certainly understand. But I will remind you of COVID. I'll remind you of George Floyd and the subsequent protests as a result. And then I'll also remind you of, oh yeah, a contentious presidential election. And I would just summarize that year by saying that as one kind of mask went on, other masks fell off. And God used that to help me begin to see realities in our broken world that my white, educated, upper middle class upbringing never required me to see. 
Now, I still have a really long ways to go as it comes to understanding embrace more, but this new or other world was really eye-opening for me. And part of my learning journey was to read. And one of the more poignant books that I was exposed to in the midst of this learning journey, which I'm still on, like I said, but it's called Exclusion and Embrace by Miroslav Volf. Now, if you've been here for a while, you've likely heard it referenced before. In fact, I'll confess that I um, watched one of Stephen's sermons just to kind of see, like, what's Stephen like as a preacher, right? This is kind of how, what you all are accustomed to. And in the midst of that sermon, he mentioned exclusion and embrace. And I was like, well, okay, here we go. You guys are familiar with it already. But in case you're not, Wolf is Croatian. And this book grew out of a theological reflection of his that he was asked to actually write on the Yugoslavian wars in the early 90s. And those wars included such brutal things as ethnic cleansing. And this is essentially Wolf's thesis. We have it up here. He says, the most basic thought on the metaphor of embrace that it seeks to express is important. The will to give ourselves to others and welcome them, to readjust our identities to make space for them is prior to any judgment about others, except that of identifying them in their humanity. The will to embrace precedes any truth about others and any construction of their justice. The line that really stands out to me is the will to embrace precedes any truth about others and any construction of their justice. That kind of hit me like a ton of bricks because as I was reading through that, I was like, I'm sorry. That just doesn't sound like the America that I grew up in. And as I reflected more, I was like, I also don't know a whole lot of churches that I could say that would be true of as well. And then again, as I reflected even more, just to be honest with you, that oftentimes doesn't sound like me either. Does it sound like you? Thankfully, next slide, it does sound like Christ. Now, I think of the woman at the well in John 4. I think of the woman with the bloody discharge in Luke 8. I think of the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. And then I also think of the um, criminal who was next to Jesus on the cross in Luke 23 as just a couple examples of ways in which it does remind me of Jesus. And if you're new to church this morning or you're new to this whole Christianity thing and, and you're not familiar with any of those stories, I just want to say again on behalf of all souls, we are so glad that you guys are here. Uh, yeah, so grateful. Um, and if you happen to be new and taking notes, or you just like to take notes in general, then those verses, again, or those passages are John 4, Luke 8, Mark 5, and then Luke 23. Highly encourage y'all to go and dig into those later. And the beautiful thing about Christianity is that those who are in Christ and empowered by Christ's Spirit can somehow, in some way, albeit imperfectly for now, pursue a life of biblical embrace both individually, as you yourselves, and then also collectively as a community, whether that's Waterstone or whether that's All Souls. So what does this actually mean for Waterstone Church? Well, it means that we are committed to talking about Paul's commands here in Romans 12, the ones that we read. And we're committed to asking ourselves the question, how are we doing? But that would be kind of self-serving, right? So we're also committed, perhaps even more importantly, to asking others in particular those who are not a part of our church, and also those who aren't even Christians, who don't attend our church or any church for that matter. Hey, how are we doing? You know, certainly embrace isn't explicit in our Romans 12 passage, but it is absolutely implicitly woven throughout. 
For example, questions that we can ask people in Smyrna include, do our people and does the community experience love or our love as genuine, which would be verse 9, or does it somehow come across as self-serving? Do people, regardless of their background and beliefs, feel honored and respected when they interact with us? That'd be verse 10. Do people experience us as arrogant and wise in our own sight? Verse 16. Do they experience us as defensive or as scapegoating our responsibility in conversations? That'd be verses 17 and 18. And the answers to these questions are going to give us a glimpse into whether we are actually following through on our first core value of embrace. Well, that's great for Waterstone. What about All Souls? Well, certainly I would encourage you to consider these questions as well. And, and then even consider, though, the extent to which you're ready to hear the answers. Because if you're not ready, then when you ask people questions like this and they give you honest feedback, it's more likely that you're going to respond reactively. Now, the way not to respond reactively is, of course, to know who you are and to know who you are not, which is to first say the way to not respond reactively is to embrace yourself and embrace who God has created you to be. And then, of course, in embracing yourself and who God has created you to be, the only really way to do that is to embrace yourself, well, is to embrace Jesus first, and then in particular to embrace your place in Jesus' story. Now, notice the order of that. It's not his place in your story. It's your place in Jesus' story. Now, the difference there, it's pretty subtle, but it's also very profound, and it's a necessary distinction to being a truly one another community. And you also have to know that your identity isn't all souls. And that Jesus' identity is not all souls either. And as a church planner, I know that that is something that I am really going to struggle with, that my identity is not Waterstone, and that Jesus' identity is not Waterstone either. And I'm going to need help. I'm going to need help being reminded that that is not the case, and that in that sense, Jesus himself is distinct. Now, if we go to the next slide here, this will lead us to Waterstone's second core value, which is, yes, Jesus himself. And there is irony in highlighting Jesus in this passage here because he's not even mentioned. Now, of course, Paul's pretty explicit everywhere else in Romans about who Jesus is, and he even mentions Christ earlier in chapter 12, so it's not really a knock on Paul. In fact, I would actually say the simplest expression of the gospel is from what Paul says earlier in the letter in, in chapter 6, verses 23, when he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So who is this Jesus in light of our Romans 12 passage? Well, he's the only person who has perfectly embodied what Paul exhorts in Romans chapter 12. He genuinely loved people. He hated evil. He showed all people honor, even if it came through challenging them. He was patient in the face of trial, and he constantly took time to pray. He welcomed strangers. He blessed those who persecuted him. He rejoiced. He wept. He came alongside, and he cared for people who were sad or who were depressed. He didn't say more than he knew, and trust me, he knew a lot, and he certainly didn't avenge himself. Well, so that, that sounds like a pretty cool guy. It sounds like somebody that I would want to hang out with. Well, so why is he so polarizing? Well, because he also made extraordinary claims, right? I mean, he was clearly a man. He was born as a baby. There were people later on in the Gospels who would say things like, isn't this Joseph and Mary's kid? What, what is he doing? And he grew up like any other man. He got hungry. He got tired. He bled and he bruised. But he also claimed to be the son of God. And by claiming to be the son of God, he was actually saying that he was God. And then he also took it a whole nother step, and he said that eternal salvation is only available through him. You know, if somebody were to come in here right now and say, hey, y'all, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and in order for you to experience eternal salvation, you're going to have to believe that about me. 
I'm pretty sure the majority of us would also think that person was a little bit crazy too. And actually, isn't, isn't that kind of an exclusive claim? And so how does the core value of exclusively believing in Jesus align with the core value of embrace? Well, that's a great question. I am so glad that you asked that. Well, these two seemingly uh, incompatible ideas, they're ultimately united in Jesus' broken body on the cross. Because it was on the cross when Jesus modeled this, and he said things like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, as the men hammered his feet and his wrists into the beams. It was also on the cross when Jesus said to the criminal next to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And then these ideas are applied or they're fulfilled in Jesus' resurrection three days later, after which he said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Well, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. As well as he then said to the apostles, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And so this exclusive gospel, it's actually good news for all people. We value it at Waterstone so much that it's actually our name. So Waterstone comes from two of the more common metaphors that Jesus uses to describe himself, right? Living water and cornerstone. Now, as, as our living water, only Jesus is capable of satisfying our deepest longings. And as our cornerstone, he's the only sure foundation that we can build our lives upon. And so two of culture's greatest desires, which like would be joy and, joy and satisfaction, and then also security and stability, they're both found exclusively in Jesus as our living water and as our cornerstone. But we also want people to know, and I know the folks at All Souls want y'all to know too, that you're not going to find those longings met in our church per se, and you're certainly not going to find those longings met in our leadership or in our programs, or I guess... I would couch that by simply saying that the extent to which you find those things met through the church is going to be the extent to which the church and the people in the church point y'all to Jesus. So as both fully God and fully man, Jesus alone empowers us to be a one another community that is for those inside of the church and for those who are beyond the church community. And this leads us, of course, to our third core value, which is ant, which is our perspective towards life as Christians. And we have a slide up there. Now, I don't know if this was a popular perspective prior to Tim Keller, who I mentioned earlier, and I will confess, will mention again, but you don't know that you're a Presbyterian pastor until you start quoting Tim Keller, right? But he is actually who helped open my eyes just to this kind of perspective and connect the dots to viewing life in this particular way. And it's essentially just that we have dichotomized or we have polarized, you could also say, much of life. But the reality is for a Christian, the only dichotomies or polarities within our lives are things that are spiritual. Things like being an orphan to being a child of God. Things like being dead in your flesh to alive in the spirit. Things like being separated by the dividing wall of hostility to being one with Christ and united in the spirit. Things like being for ourselves to being for one another. Otherwise, life in Christ or the Christian life, it's holistic. It's not faith or work. It's faith and work. It's not word or deed. It's word and deed. It's grace and truth. It's justice and mercy. It's rich and poor. It's black and white. It's Republican and Democrat. We could just continue to go on and on. In other words, the Christian life is integrated. It's not polarized. And Christian communities are integrated, not segregated. And yes, I did choose to use those words purposefully. 
But the reality is that life is a lot more complex and nuanced than we either tend to think it is or that we actually want it to be. Because complexity and gray areas require us to think and they require us to pause and exercise wisdom. And they, they also require us to slow down and to seek counsel. Thinking, exercising wisdom, slowing down and seeking counsel are all pretty averse to our contemporary culture. We want quick, we want easy, we want painless. So and is a very complicated core value, and we would appreciate your prayers as we push into that and try to disciple our people in that as well. But thankfully, and is actually explicit within our Romans 12 passage. So how so? Well, if we take a look at verse 13, Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Now, no, it's not explicit because Paul uses the word and in this particular sentence here, right? That's not what this core value was actually going after. But this verse also highlights, because of how it's translated within the ESV in particular, this verse highlights why it's important to have a core value like and. Because see, if you just read this verse, like it's translated in the ESV, it kind of reads like this. It reads like Paul saying, contribute to the needs of the saints, and as you do, show them hospitality. So in other words, it's like he's saying, be hospitable, be kind and generous towards the saints, towards those who are actually inside of our community, inside of our church. But the reality is that that's not what Paul's saying at all in this verse. And so it's really easy to misread it. And it frustrates me with this particular uh, way that it's translated. The word that he uses for hospitality here actually means love to strangers. And the only other time it's used in the entire Bible is Hebrews 13.2, which says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So used correctly there. For by so doing, some have entertained angels. So this verse is much better translated as contribute to the needs of the saints and also show hospitality to strangers. Because that's what biblical hospitality was. And so we have a slide up here defining it from the Pillar New Testament Commentary. And he says that hospitality may be defined as the process by means of which an outsider status is changed from stranger to guest. It's not something a person provides for family or friends, but for strangers. See, it's strangers who need hospitality, for otherwise they will be treated as non-human because they are potentially a threat to the community. So see, here, Paul is encouraging the Romans to be generous toward one another, and generous towards those who are outside of the church. So it's not or, it's and. Next slide here. Similarly, if we look at verse 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now, yeah, Paul is likely referring to having a close relationship with people and just being present and engaged with them as they experience the ups and downs of life, but he's also highlighting another cultural phenomenon that I wouldn't be surprised was true of the Romans back at this time. That's also true of us and probably true of most societies that haven't really experienced any kind of um, massive loss, which would be that we are a triumphant culture. We don't like to weep. In fact, this is likely going to be our greatest barrier at Waterstone to truly being a community of embrace. Because one of the very first steps in embrace is lament. And as a culture and community, we don't lament. Now, there's thousands of examples of this, examples that we could give of there not being lament uh, or mourning or grieving. But one of the most recent was actually, again, I said I'd reference him, was when Tim Keller passed away. Uh, This is just like a month or two ago. You know, like many people, I first learned about it on Twitter, uh, and then within the hour, as I just kind of kept refreshing, within the hour, there were dozens of tributes to his life, and there were also um, critical evaluations of his legacy. 
Now, almost any organization that he was attached to highlighted his involvement with them as if it was a way of kind of saying, like, he's gone to glory. We're going to now attach ourselves onto his glory as he has gone on. I want to believe that they were trying to honor him, and they definitely, I need to remind myself, they had time, and will remind all of us, to prepare for this moment because his health had gradually deteriorated over about a two- or three-year time frame. So it wasn't a real surprise to anybody necessarily, but what was surprising for me was that nobody, and I mean nobody said, I'm sad. This hurts. I'm really going to miss him. Paul knows, and certainly Keller now knows, that the Christian life is ultimately a triumphant life. One day we're going to be with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity. But he also knows that that is not yet our reality and that in the interim there is and there will continue to be things that are going to happen that we will need to weep and we will mourn. There are going to be reasons that are going to happen for us to lament. And he encourages the Romans and he encourages us to do both, rejoice and weep. And you know what? I would even say that as a one another community, let's rejoice and let's weep together, not just alone. Now, finally, in order for there to be a one another community, one has to actually turn into another, right? So in other words, that community has to multiply, which we have another slide here, and that is Waterstone's final core value. And I could summarize this just simply as a community that emphasizes a posture of embrace, Uh, The person of Jesus and an integrative perspective on life will naturally multiply. In fact, a one another community will multiply because that's a community that is filled with the fragrant aroma of Christ. And friends, who doesn't love a fragrant aroma? And speaking of fragrant aromas and multiplication, you know what my favorite example of multiplication is today? We have a slide. (laughs) Bucky's. Yes. And Bucky's isn't just multiplying. Bucky's is like a full-on movement at this point. Because who doesn't want to gorge themselves on brisket and on key lime pudding and buy themselves a $25 t-shirt while they're filling their gas tank up with gas? And those bathrooms, man, don't even get me started on those bathrooms. They are legendary. They're always so fresh. They're always so clean. They're never lacking soap or paper towels. It never actually smells like a bathroom, if you know what I mean. They're fantastic. If you haven't been to Bucky's yet, you need to go. As you can see, I get kind of excited when I talk about Bucky's. But when you think about multiplication, just think about Bucky's. Think about all the people who are there, no matter what time of day it is. Think about all the people who wear their swag. Think about all the people who post about their Bucky stop on social media. There's an energy or there's a vitality to being in a Bucky's. Now, I'll confess that my energy that I have when I go into a Bucky's is just to get what I need and get the heck out because it has gotten so crazy in there no matter when it is. But what if our churches had the same sort of energy and vitality of Bucky's? You know, what if people talked about all souls and the ways that they experienced Christ in y'all's one another community the way they talked about Bucky's? Go to the next slide here. What if your love for one another was so genuine? And the honor y'all showed one another, so extravagant. And the harmony that you enjoyed with one another, so peaceful that you just couldn't help but talk about it with your friends, with your family, and with your neighbors because you knew that being a part of that would be really good for them too. Well, that's how multiplication happens. And it is possible. It can actually happen. Even all souls today can actually multiply. You probably are in many ways too. I just don't know about it. But here's how it happens. It happens through a movement of the Holy Spirit. And that's the beautiful thing about spiritual multiplication. And that's the beautiful thing about a Romans 12 passage. None of it is possible without the Holy Spirit. 
see a one another community that y'all are going through and walking through and striving to be this summer, that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Biblical embrace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus and believing in Jesus is, surprise, surprise, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Viewing life through an integrated and biblically informed lens is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then ultimately, of course, spiritual multiplication is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would say that we are so dependent on the Holy Spirit as Christians that I would argue that multiplication without the Holy Spirit ultimately results in division. Do you see what I did there? In conclusion... Uh, earlier I mentioned that before you can embrace anybody, you have to first embrace yourself. And the foundation of your own embrace is your place in Jesus' story. Well, if you aren't a Christian this morning, your place in Jesus' story is this. Jesus said that he came into the world to save sinners, to save those who are sick, to save those who are not well. And maybe you don't know or maybe you don't believe that you're a sinner. Maybe you think that life is perfect. And if that's you today, I've been there too. I used to think that Christianity was a psychological crutch way back when I was at that university in Athens. But I believe that you're here this morning for a reason. And maybe that reason is just to reconsider, even if for one moment. Or maybe you're here this morning because you've actually been trying to do all these things that Paul lists in Romans 12 in your own strength. And friend, if that's you this morning, that is exhausting. You know, if you ever realize, oh, uh, no, actually life isn't perfect, and, and sometimes I can be pretty messed up. Just know that Jesus offers you forgiveness. Jesus offers you his righteousness, and he offers you an abundant life in a one another community that I know all souls would love to be for you, and he, let, he offers you that for eternity. So will you reconsider this morning? Now, if you're a Christian in this room this morning, your place is this. You were once an other alienated from God and alienated from one another. But Jesus set his eyes on you, and he said, I love you. You are mine. And he drew himself to you with this incorruptible love, and he saved you from yourself. He saved you from your very sins. And now in Christ, the Father fully embraces you, and the Holy Spirit empowers you to embrace others as well as a Romans 12, one another community. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who fulfilled all of Paul's exhortations within Romans 12 for us. As we seek to, to live a life that reflects these exhortations, help us ultimately just to rest in Christ, again, who did this for us and has accepted us and forgiven us and has declared us righteous for his own righteousness' sake. We thank you and we praise you, and we do so in his name. Amen.